Take one of the open audition for Peter Apple and uh, Arm Layton's spot on the Just Baseball show. This is Ryan Finkelstein. Uh, it is Wednesday, April 20th, 516. Rolling. Just Baseball right. show. Uh, it's Thursday, April 21st, Jack. And Ryan Finkelstein, we're going to be talking a lot of Mets. We're going to be talking a lot of other stuff. Um, do you feel like you can unseat Peter and or Arm? If so, who? Oh, man. I mean, I think it's tough because both of them have a million shows. They might be happy if I unseated one of them, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, I, I think right now, considering New York is becoming a Mets town, it would just be fitting that I would take Peter's spot and, and we, we kind of stop talking about the Yankees a little bit, you know? Yeah. Well, you're also one of the hosts of the State of Division NL East segment. And right. uh, you know that the Marlins are not really anything of note. So I, I feel like you can dwarf both of them. Thank you. I, I do appreciate that. And if the Mets continue to play this way, um, you know, my, my own personal hype train just continues to grow as well. You should see uh, what we're doing with Locked On Mets recently. It's going to be a good year. It's going to be a really good year. I'm feeling good about it. Ryan is the host of Locked On Mets. He's also a kick-ass editor for Just Baseball, uh, does a ton of good stuff. And you are now, uh, what, fully recurring of a guest. Is this your fourth appearance on the JB show? I think so. I think it is. I think number like four. that. All right. Here's to many more. Here's to uh, here's to five episodes a week. We're going to talk a lot of Mets because the Mets are one of the stories in Major League Baseball right now. Also, Owen Miller sitting 500. So so that's that. But, um, you know, right before we started recording, we started talking about Francisco Lindor and uh, Lindor is having a bounce back year. Pete Alonso is one of the best run producers in Major League Baseball right now. And, and I said, it felt like the one team in Major League Baseball that can't spend, outspend bad luck is the New York Mets. And here they are outspending bad luck. Steve Cohen, is he your knight in shining armor? You have no idea. You have no idea. I, I, the, my, my show the first two years was basically just me ripping Jeff Wilpon over and over and over again. And there was a segment of Mets fans that enjoyed that. Uh, but there's a much larger segment of Mets fans now where there's a $300 million payroll that allows you to go from a team that collapsed last year, had all these bad vibes to a team that is just absolutely rolling in that. I mean, to, to come into this episode today off of a sweep of the giants of all teams in a doubleheader, uh, cloud nine is an understatement. Where did the bad vibes go? Because it's not like there was a ton of roster turnover. If anything, like additions came in, people didn't necessarily depart. Well, you know, I think that there was very specific uh, players that were moved on from. And um, I don't know if it really means anything, but there are players that are pretty loud on social media and Marcus Stroman and Noah Syndergaard. A little bit interesting that those two guys left. I mean, obviously, Syndergaard wasn't a big part of the team last year, but I think that the Mets were very particular in who they signed. Max Scherzer, Eduardo Escobar, Starling Marte, Mark Canna veterans that are just about winning it seems like and i think that has really got this team in the right direction and then buck showalter if there's one manager out there that can manage all these egos it's buck 
Okay, so Buck, he stole my heart during spring training when he was talking about near the complex um, in, in Port St. Lucie, one of the, uh, like, like a drink bucket, you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, the yeah, bucket. yeah. yeah. Um, he stole my heart for that. And, you know, this guy is a former MLB network analyst. We know he's good with the media, but uh, it feels like the front that he's putting on for, for the media is not necessarily a front. Um, and, yeah. and it really feels like he is a player's manager that just happens to be sensational with everybody and just like the genuine top dog among managerial people in baseball. He just walks into a press conference and he just tells the media, man, it was cold out there. Was it cold where you guys were sitting? He's just, it's just little stuff like that where he's just genuinely himself and he's been doing this job for so long that nothing's going to phase him. And he's, he makes everyone comfortable. And I mean, he has the media eating out of the palm of his hand. I mean, they love him. So he's not going to get criticized by the media either, which is good for the team. It's less of a distraction. Tony LaRusse is not showing anybody a photo of his puppy. I, I promise you he's not showing anybody a photo. <laughs> no, no, he's not. Um, I want to walk through a lot of these individuals here because Frankie Lindor is obviously taking the league by storm right now. And Pete Alonso has been great. Let's start with Lindor because this is a guy that was so underwhelming. And I think people were already chalking up that $341 million deal as just an ass move, getting $1 million more than Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, and, and drastically underperforming in 2021. What's clicking for him right now? Well, first off, I just want to go through his numbers real quick through 12 games. First of all, he's gotten on base in every game. He's hitting 310, 442 on base, 619 slugging, 208 WRC plus trailing only Wander Franco. He is leading shortstops in ISO, walk percentage, F4, home runs, runs, RBIs, and stolen bases in his top three non-base percentage, slugging percentage, and WRC+. plus. So you can't have – there's no way you could have started the season better. But if you've been reading me at Just Baseball or listening to me, I have been saying this for a long time. I think my first appearance on the Just Baseball show, you, were, you guys were saying, what's wrong with Lindor? And I said, well, you look at his first two months last year, he was terrible – I think he hit, he hit 188, 219 on base, 285 slugging, 67 WRC plus in 45 games played. From that point on, Lindor was pretty solid last year. He hit 252, 340 on base, 42 slugging, 16 home runs, 51 runs, scored 52 RBIs. You, you take that and you put it over a full season, he would have had his 30 home runs. He, he would have been right in line with his career numbers. I think a lot of it was overblown last year. And you look at the guy that's the best defensive shortstop in baseball, I think he's given you everything you expected when he signed that contract. It was just the season last year where that, that slow start really kind of changed the perception of him. So you texted Arm and I on Tuesday morning. You said, uh, I'm going to write up an article. Francisco Lindor is playing like the best shortstop in baseball. And I said, yeah, sure. Keep pushing the agenda, man. And you make your good case. It's live on justbaseball.com. Check it out. Ryan Fickelstein wrote it, uh, published on April 19th. The title of the article is literally Francisco Lindor is playing like the best shortstop in baseball we knew that he could do his damage defensively. We knew that he was, you know, the gold standard defensively there when he was in Cleveland. What we also saw in Cleveland was a very high batting average. Um, you know, and, and by very high, I'm not talking like 310, 320. I'm talking for, for his power output, 280 with 30 bombs was insane. A realistic yeah. expectation for 2022. Is it, is it 280 with 30 bombs? I think it could be, but to me, it's more the on-base percentage. And since June 1st of last year, he's leading all shortstops and walk percentage. I think it's over 12%. So he's having good at-bats. And 
the way I look at Lindor over the length of this contract, if he's giving you gold glove defense, 30 bombs, and he's getting on base, there's really nothing else you could ask for. I don't think he's going to be the best shortstop in baseball. Um, you know, like I said, he's playing like it, but I think he's a top 10 shortstop. And as long as he is giving you these productive at bats and he's running into his home runs, you're going to take it. And the, one of the other things that I have in the article is since June 1st, no one's hit more home runs at short than Fernando Tatis Jr. And again, you look at the career sample size since he debuted. I like to tell people Lindor leading all shortstops in F4 and home runs hit. That's who he is. And that's who he's been this season. I'm, I'm trying to walk through the division in my head. And I'm thinking about the shortstops in the division. And Francisco Lindor is for sure the best shortstop in the NL East, right? Because you're you're working against Dansby Swanson in Atlanta. You're working against Alcides Escobar in Washington. Uh, Miguel Rojas in Miami. And then Bryson Stott slash Didi Gregorius in Philly. Yeah, That's uh, ridiculous. Um, it's a no-brainer there who the best shortstop in the NL East is. I go to the NL Central now. And I see an identity crisis between DeYoung and Sosa in St. Louis. In Milwaukee, uh, it's Willie Adamas. Uh, yep. In Chicago, it's Andrelton Simmons slash Nico Horner. Um, in Pittsburgh, it doesn't really matter. It's Kevin Newman right now. It'll be O'Neill Cruz in due time. And then Cincinnati, Barrero slash Farmer. You have to look all the way to the West Coast to find Trey Turner and Fernando Tatis Jr., who are the better shortstops in the National League than Francisco Lindor. But I think the list stops there. Yeah, and those might be the best two shortstops in baseball in in Turner and and Tatis. So, yeah, I I think, again, this is a guy that had such a slow start that people, you know, were were writing him off. And I I, I mentioned a lot that Carlos Beltran's first year with the Mets in 2005 was very similar to Lindor's. Bad start, boot in the beginning, can't handle New York, big contract, all the noise. These guys, they're not robots. It takes a while to adjust from a Cleveland market to a New York market. And I think now that he's been here for a year, he's comfortable. And and we're seeing him just play baseball like he has throughout his entire career. You got anything more you want to say about Cleveland as a place? Um, No, no, I I think I'm good. You're good? good All right. It's just a different market than New York, right? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, in Cleveland, I mean, this guy could have hit 188 for a full season and he wouldn't have gotten booed because they were just happy he was there. So <laughs> that, that's the difference. Well, now they have uh, Owen Miller at second base. That's true. So there we go. Five, hitting 500, Owen Miller. Pete Alonso, three bombs. He and Lindor have a share of the team high, but Pete Alonso is one of Major League Baseball's top run producers at this point, uh, only behind the legend CJ Crone. And then I think one more guy, but Pete Alonso's got 14 ribbies. His production was really good last year, yet it felt like this down-to-earth season for Pete Alonso because he hit, you know, 50-plus his rookie year. Alonso, he's going to bounce back in a massive way, isn't he? I think so. I mean, he was another guy that got off to a slow start. I mean, particularly hitting home runs. So you look at him this year, and the thing I, I talk about, Pete, I don't know if he'll lead the league in home runs, but I feel if, if Corona, like if he can slow down a little bit, I, I think Pete's got a good chance to lead the National League in RBIs because Starling Marte in front of him, that just adds so many, many opportunities with runners in scoring position. Um, you know, he had one game in the home opener where his first two at bats, he got sack flies. And so that's something that just wasn't happening last year because the team around him was so terrible. So I, I think Pete, as a traditional cleanup hitter on this team, it's just going to rack up the RBIs and uh, he's going to have one of those months. I'm sure coming up soon where he's going to be homering, you know, almost every game. 
Well, Marte's stealing some of the RBIs right now. Marte's got yeah, 10. He is. <laughs> Marte, I thought he was going to draw. I thought he was going to fall off a cliff. Like being totally honest, his game is speed. He's getting older. I thought the speed was gone. He's doing the other four things really well, and he's still got the speed. Um, you, you look at the signings. You know, you mentioned him off the top. Scherzer, uh, Canna, Marte, Eduardo Escobar. Is Marte the best one so far? Granted, I know Max Scherzer is Max Scherzer. Yeah, I mean, you know, Marte, I, I was I was hyping him up on just baseball with a bunch of articles before they signed him. I was like, is he the next Curtis Granderson signing for this Mets team? Um, he should be their top priority, and we're seeing it. I think that in right field, you're going to see a, a player that can contend for a gold glove. I think in center, I don't think he's a gold glover, but in right field, his arm is going to play up. I think that was the right move to play him out there. And the athleticism just, just pops. Like the Mets haven't had a guy this athletic that can make things happen since Jose Reyes in the first inning of, I think it was the first game of the doubleheader yesterday, blue pit, steal second, bad throw gets the third, a little pass ball that gets, you know, 10 feet away from the catcher. You got one run in the first inning without having to, to really do anything. So, so that's what Marte brings to this team. And it's a different dynamic. I, I think Escobar and Canna are just quality veterans yeah. And obviously Scherzer, Scherzer, but I think Starling Marte might have the biggest impact this season. And Escobar, by the way, has a 940 OPS, so he's no slouch right now either. Um, I, I do want to talk about that doubleheader because we're recording on Wednesday before Rodon and uh, Bassett. Bassett. Yeah, yeah, before Rodon and Bassett meet up in Queens. Um, the, the appetizer was the day game. Mets took that on a walk-off in the 10th. Then the nightcap, that was the main event. That was the event that everybody circled. And, and after that game ended, then it was Bueller and Freed in L.A., but that was Scherzer and Logan Webb. And the Mets got to Logan Webb. It's really yeah. hard to get to Logan Webb. He hadn't lost a game, I want to say, in, in a year in North America. They said it was 24 straight uh, games that he hadn't he hadn't uh, recorded a loss or I think the Giants have won all those games or something crazy so so that shows you that it is nearly impossible to get to him and you guys got to him early how did the Mets get to Logan Webb well first of all I mean they got him out of the game in four innings I, I mean I was actually surprised that they did pull him when they did but he was already at 80 pitches and I think they just decided it wasn't worth you know keeping him out there it was just good at bats top to bottom and then you know Lindor was the one that got a rally going in the double and these guys just continue to come up with these clutch hits. I, I think what, what we're seeing with this Mets team is, is you have a lot of guys that are, are grinders up there with Jeff McNeil in the lineup when you have Eduardo Escobar, um, you, you know, and even Mark Canna early on in the year before he uh, tested positive for COVID has been out. It's just a lot of guys that get on base and they work deep counts. And, uh, you know, they can really, if you make a mistake, they'll make you pay for it. They haven't even really got it going as far as hitting home runs yet. It's a lot of passing the baton to the next guy. And, you know, it's, it's, I mean, the way they're hit with runners in scoring position too has been really impressive. I, I totally forgot on Marte when we were on him. I was going to ask you what jersey size you think he has. Is it an adult small or a youth large? It's got to be adult small, dude. When I went to, to spring training, I, I, I'm looking at everyone's jersey and I'm like, why does the biceps look different on him than everyone else other than him having ridiculous biceps? Right. But like, it was like, if he just flexed on a swing that they would snap off. Right. It, it, seeing that Jersey, it looks like it's painted on him at yeah. times. Just it's so form fitting. I didn't know that baseball jerseys were ever made to do that. I don't think they're supposed to be, but uh, for Stalin Marta, I think he has a, an extra request there. Make sure everyone knows, uh, who's the most athletic person on the field right now? Who's the most jacked? 
would Chris Bassett look like that if he had a form fitting Jersey? I don't think so. I don't think he'd look quite like that. No, now the, the former Akron zip uh, Chris Bassett is rocking a 0.75 ERA right now through his first couple of starts. Again, he gets the ball tonight. Uh, we'll see how that goes, but Bassett, Tyler McGill and Carlos Carrasco. Everybody was saying, oh, my God, DeGrom and Scherzer at the top is like having two Bob Gibsons. They're, they're both Hall of Famers. There we go. DeGrom goes down. Okay, yeah, you still got Scherzer at the top. But the trio of Bassett, Carrasco, and McGill, I don't think the majority of the baseball world really understands how big that is for the Mets to have that trio going like they're going right away. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think the only one people were expecting was Bassett. Now, not to pitch to whatever you said, 0.78 ERA, but – uh, you know, Bassett was great with the athletics and I think everyone sort of penciled him in as the number two when DeGrom went out. But for me, it's Carlos Carrasco that has really uh, been the, the best revelation. And maybe it's because I like being right. And I had been spent, <laughs> spending the whole off season talking about this guy, but uh, here's a stat that I, I didn't mention on the state of the division show. But if you go from 2014 through 2020, and you look at the ex-FIP leaders from a, for a minimum of 500 innings pitched, Carlos Carrasco had the fourth best XFIP of any starter in baseball, better than Max Scherzer, actually. It's Clayton Kershaw at 2.67, Chris Sale 2.84, Jacob DeGrom at 2.91, and Carlos Carrasco at 3.05. I think everyone forgot how good this guy is when he's on. And his down season last year, he blows out his hamstring, gets rushed back. You know, they're, they're rehabbing him at the big league level. Uh, and then in the offseason, he gets surgery to clean up his elbow. So now that he's healthy, and this isn't a guy that needs velocity, you're seeing that he can still be the same guy he was in Cleveland. So when you have Bassett and Carrasco behind Scherzer in this rotation, even if they don't have DeGrom, it's one of the best one through threes. And then McGill, like you mentioned, I mean, he has just been sensational early on. I mean, he, he came in throwing harder. He's six foot seven. Uh, last year, a big jump from him in innings. He went from, I think the most ever was 35 and two thirds in any season in the minors. He throws 130 last year. I think that's yeah. why he really wore down as the season went on. But he's a pitcher that has a high ceiling. Um, and one of these guys that sort of popped because he didn't have that year in 2020. You didn't know what was going on with him. And then he just burst onto the scene. And look, one through six with, with Taiwan Walker as well. Yeah. This is a really good Mets rotation. Uh, I just saw Tyler McGill's brother, Trevor McGill, in St. Paul last week. It was like 20 degrees with the wind chill and McGill was out there just rocking no undershirt with the Jersey and he was pumping 98 in there. Tyler kind of same deal there. Um, and, and just walking through those three again, McGill's a big guy that throws hundred. I understand why he's succeeding right now. Bassett, you saw it in Oakland. He has the deception there. I understand why he's succeeding right now. Um, you've got the track record with Carrasco and Cleveland, but when you watch Carlos Carrasco pitch, why do you think he's succeeding the way he is right now? Well, one thing is that, you know, he wasn't even throwing his curveball much, we learned uh, over the last couple of years, and that's because of whatever was going on with his elbow. So I, I think it really is that. It's, it's that surgery he had to clean up whatever was going on in that elbow. That's allowed him to really have his full arsenal again. And I also think that Jeremy Hefner is one of the best pitching coaches in baseball, yeah. um, which I don't know if a lot of people would know if you're not paying attention to the team every day, but he's really good at, at creating an individualized plan for each pitcher. And so when you have these guys like Bassett and Carrasco that have such a big bag of weapons, you know, they're able to really form a good game plan and they're executing it. And that, that's why you're seeing such great success right now. Yeah. If you like take the escalator of like deep cuts in terms of being a baseball fan to baseball follower to baseball degenerate, it's knowing who the manager is, 
knowing who the general manager is, and then full-blown degenerate is knowing who the pitching coach is. <laughs> you want me to take it a step further? I remember I was at a game with one of my buddies, the Mets Marlins game years ago, and he was just marveling how I knew everyone. Like, I knew the bullpen catcher. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's Ray Ramirez. That's the trainer. He looks at me like, why the fuck do you know who the trainer is? <laughs> I'm like, dude, this is this is my life. I don't have to tell you. Uh, I've been a Mets fan since I was a kid, and I, I pay attention to all of it. So when did you get weird like that? And, and like, I ask you because I was weird when I was ooh, five years old, I think. And I'm a White Sox fan now, but I grew up a Cubs fan. I grew up like a 10-minute walk from Wrigley. I was, I was there age birth through five. So my first games, like all the photos of me as a young kid at a baseball game are at Wrigley. And when I was like five years old, um, my, my dad's party trick would be get me to rattle off the entire Cubs 25-man roster and, the, and like the coaching staff through the bench coach. Um, and I was like, okay, I understand that I'm kind of a zoo animal for my dad right now, but it, that's also what I like to do. And that's when it kind of clicked for me that uh, baseball, baseball was my jam. When did it click for you? Same thing. I mean, just as a kid, you know, whether it was, you know, baseball cards playing, you know, you know, 2k or uh, what, what was the MVP baseball MVP that, baseball. That was the classic on GameCube. So yeah, it, it's been like that for a long time. And I actually just recently had, uh, one of my friends from middle school hadn't talked to since then uh, had just stumbled upon my, my podcast and he DMs me just to say what's up. And he was just saying like, like I'm not surprised at all. This is what you were doing. Like, you were such a, a Mets nut in middle school. You knew everything. So I'm not surprised at all. This is what you decided to end up doing with your career. Yeah, that's the thing about sports. That's the thing about sports media in general, right? Like it, you get a head start when you're five years old. <laughs> that, yeah. That's how you get rolling. You got to start like, okay, were you, were you a diehard baseball fan out of the womb? Let's go. Entry level yeah. job. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Hey, do you think, huh? Do you think the Mets are the second best team in the national league? Like I was trying to think of a, of a non-direct way of asking that question, but I'm, I'm struggling to think of a, a better team right now. Obviously, Atlanta just won the World Series, but just looking on paper, looking at what's to come throughout the entirety of the year, it's hard for me to pick a team after the Dodgers that, that is better and more set up for success than the New York Mets. I, I think so. I mean, the Dodgers, we all know that they're, they're the best team in baseball. They've been the best team in baseball. There's, there's no really argument there but you look at and again i have to come back to the rotation the fact that they're doing what they're doing and there's that guy jacob the grom that still hasn't pitched yet yeah this team could just get so scary and i imagine when they get to the playoffs i've been thinking about it if you go into a series with the grom and scherzer one those guys both hit the ball twice in a seven game series right you have bassett and carrasco and then you have a guy like mcgill whose stuff could play up in the bullpen swingman yeah, I mean, they, they just that the way that rotation looks, and then the fact that one through four, even if a Brandon Nimmo's out, I mean, if it's Jeff McNeil, Starling Marte, Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso, whatever combination they put together, it seems like their one through four is going to be pretty lethal. I, I, they got great, a great rotation. They got a great starting lineup. I don't know what else you need. And the beauty of the postseason, too, um, you know, say McGraw, say DeGrom comes back and he's, he's feeling healthy. Um, We've seen guys in recent years start one, four, and seven. So DeGrom, it could be start game one, see how he feels for game four. If he's not up for it, then McGill starts game four. And then do it again. If he throws one and four, see how he feels for seven. If he's like, I could give you some innings out of the bullpen, start McGill, see how long he goes. 
the depth there, the depth in the starting rotation is everything. And you see it in Miami. Obviously, Miami is not in the situation that, that the Mets are in. But, you know, you look at my White Sox, the depth is nowhere close to that. Yeah. So I'm terrified getting into a postseason series right now. But you look at Toronto and you've got Barrios and you've got Ryu and you've got Manoa and you've got Kikuchi. Okay, cool. But then you also have Gosman as well. So like Ryu could be that swingman and, and say Barrios isn't ready to go game four. You could have Ryu start or something like that. Um, it, it, how do you think the Mets line up as opposed to let's expand it to the American League too, as opposed to any team in Major League Baseball in a seven game playoff series? I think that the, the Mets are good enough to compete with everyone. I'm not going to say they have a better line than the Blue Jays or the Dodgers. There's other teams out there that I think over a full season might prove to be a better offensive team. But uh, again, what they've done is they've hit with runners in scoring position this year. And I, I think that because they have these veteran hitters, it's the little things I know, like like talking small ball uh, is like mentioning a pitching coach's name, like no one cares. But I mean, you're seeing Jeff McNeil in, in the extra innings, move a guy over with a ground ball. It's little things. That, that I really like to see. And it's just, there, there's not a lot of bad at bats in this lineup. And what I really get excited about is I look at Francisco Alvarez in the minor leagues right now, <laughs> dude. And I see James McCann and Tomas Nito hit every day. And I just think that there's a chance that if this Mets team is rolling and you get to August and Alvarez has 30 home runs in the minors, they might just pull the trigger on that and rush them up a little bit early. And I mean, if you added Alvarez in the lineup, you also have Vientos and Beatty that could potentially take over as the DH or the third baseman. Like I see this team and I look at where they're at now and I just think they're only going to get better. And also they're a team that will be aggressive. We know they'll be aggressive at the deadline. So who knows what they'll even look like, um, you know, come July. You said the V word Vientos and, and he's a top 100 guy, according to our Aram Layton, by the way, go check out, just yeah. baseball's top 100 prospects. It's live on the site. Uh, you're looking at the tandem of the uh, of the editors that went through Aram's incomplete sentences and made them complete sentences. So there we go. Um, Vientos is a top 100 guy, but I was just messing around on fan graphs yesterday morning, and I saw that Mark Vientos has the highest ground ball rate of any hitter in AAA baseball right now. Shocking. Um, and I, it is shocking because that's a guy that lifts it and could hit 40 bombs, but he is really struggling out of the gate right now with Syracuse. Um, I, the, the reason I bring that up is because Indy's O'Neill Cruz is number two. And I'm like, what are we doing here? You make your money lifting baseballs and you're putting it on the ground 64% of the time, but Vientos is putting it on the ground 70% of the time. Um, with Alvarez, when do you think he becomes the best catching option? I mean, <laughs> July, the, the best offensive catching option. He's right already now. there right yeah. now. Um, yeah. So look, there, there's a chance that the Mets might just stay defense with their catcher. And I think that's, they have that luxury. James McCann uh, has been saw behind the plate. You're familiar with him a little bit from his days with the White Sox and course, then Nito, and you were probably uh, thinking, I can't believe the Mets just gave him a four year deal. Uh, no, signed. dude, he hit like 330. He was an all-star, and I was like, oh, this guy's great. I wish we would have paid him. Well, I think you uh you ended up with a better option there with Grundahl. But uh, you know, I, I think that that Nito is is a really good defensive catcher, so they might just stay with that. But if this team starts struggling at all offensively, the temptation is gonna be there. I, I would still say only maybe like a 15% chance we see Alvarez this year, but coming into the year, Alvarez in camp says, I plan on making the big leagues this year. We all kind of laughed. So how oh, cool. It's good to see the kids confident. I gave it like a 1% chance of happening. 
And then he's making double A pitching look like he made low A pitching look like last year. And at a certain point, you just have to put your hands up and say, you know what, just just let the kid go, maybe. As soon as Adley graduates, he's he's the top catching prospect of baseball by a very wide margin. Um, and the thing about the just baseball top 100 in particular, Bobby Witt, Julio Rodriguez, Spencer Torkelson, Riley Green's not going to be down there for too long. Adley Rutschman, like there are not a lot of guys below AAA that are ahead of Francisco Alvarez. So even if he doesn't come up, there's a chance at the midseason point, we're looking at Francisco Alvarez as the top prospect in all of minor league baseball. And it's hard to keep the top prospect in minor league baseball down, especially if the Mets look to win and they feel like he's the best option. But you know what? That remains to be seen. And uh, we'll we'll check again at the all-star break. We'll check again at the trade deadline and for September call-ups. One other note, I also could see a scenario. Um, let's just say Vientos continues to struggle and, and uh, you know, Cano and, and Dom aren't hitting. You could also see the Mets just say, you know what, let's just have Alvarez DH. Don't DH. worry about catching. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll instruct you on catching a little bit, you know, between games, but you're just going to be our, our universal DH every day. And that's another way to get his bat into the lineup. So I think that even opens up the door and makes it even more of a likelihood that we could possibly see him this year. I would say put your GM hat on, but I, I've never seen a GM wear a hat, so I'm going to ask you to put your GM tie on. Um, d- would you do that to Francisco Alvarez? Would you have him DH? Uh, you know, again, it, it just comes down to if the DH spot looks the way it's looked so far this year, and we're and it still looks like that, and, and you get to the deadline and you're looking at the options on the market, and you say, you know what? We just have this kid who's raking. I don't see any problem with it. I don't think that his bat's going to be hurt by by getting thrown into the action. I think the only question is, what's he going to do defensively? So if you take that off the table, yeah, I'd, I'd consider it. Yeah, I think I'm considering it too. The, you hear that at first and you're like, okay, I don't want to do anything to slow this guy's progression down. And then you hear it and it's like, wait, if I could win a World Series this year and I've got a guy that can hit me 10 bombs in a month and he's 22 years old, fuck it, let's let's go. <laughs> You know, I, I'm, I'm a South Florida kid. So actually one of my favorite baseball teams ever was the 2003 Marlins. Yeah. Cause at the time I didn't realize they were in the same division as the Mets. And <laughs> I, uh, you know, my, my dad took me to, I went to a game in each series. I was actually at the game where Pudge made that tag at the plate. Um, Whoa, that's yeah, awesome. So, yeah. Coolest moment I've ever been to live. But my, my point is I, I watched Miguel Cabrera on that team and you know, you saw him not get phased by a Roger Clemens and Alvarez to me, and a teenage bat, I guess now he's 20, but like very similar where, yeah, I feel like if you have a chance to win a world series and he's one of the best bats in your organization, you have to consider bringing him up. Yeah. And if you want to tick more recently with that type of thing, um, different scale, obviously Miggy was like the top dog in terms of guys coming out that are really young and just contributing in the postseason right away. But you remember Xander Bogarts in 2013, yeah, and he came up and just like he worked a three ball count every single plate appearance in that postseason. He was, it's like, what is this twenty year old doing putting quality at bats together? I and think I another feel like one Prince, is Schwarber too. Schwarber was Schwarber. another one. Yeah, Schwarber in twenty sixteen. I feel like Alvarez is that type of guy where it's like, oh, this is a gamer. He's going to step up and go. I, I mean, if we were really to, to to be honest, and you were to look at the entire Mets organization right now, and you you needed one guy to get a hit, like how many guys do you name? on the Mets before you get to Alvarez. Let's do it. Let's do it. Lindor, McNeil, Marte, a healthy Nimmo, um, Alonso. Uh, Canna. 
get on base but get a hit uh i don't know uh, i don't know it might the list might stop at five i, I i'm serious that that's i feel like you put alvarez in the game tomorrow he goes two for four jeez he's just so good i, I watch his at bats and there's just like there's no holes in this guy's swing he's just crazy i can tell you're a mets guy <laughs> you know hey this is gonna sound philosophical as shit you ready yeah who are you scared of individually or team wise how could I not be scared of the Braves as a longtime Mets fan? Yeah. I mean, what's the, I think they've they've been in the division since 96 and I think they've won like 16 of the division titles and like the the next closest team might be the Phillies at five or something like that. Yeah. They own this division. So you're, you're always scared of the Braves. Yeah. Matt Olson too. I watching Olson from, from your experience watching Olson this year, is he starting to shed? Is he starting to send shivers down your spine? Yeah, that's the thing. Cause I, I mean, how, how many open athletic games were, were, were most of us watching? I, I mean, you see the numbers sure. like, oh, that guy's really good out there, but I don't, I never watched it. So now you're seeing it. And yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy that they lost Freeman and upgraded. It's crazy. Are you worried, like in a three game set in like June, July, August, that the Marlins could just throw you out of the whack, like out of whack if, if they've got, Alcantara and Lopez and a Lizardo that's on or one of these younger arms that's on. And, you know, all of a sudden you get swept by the Marlins and it's two, one, one, nothing, three, two. Yeah. I think, you know, on our first day of the division, me and arm are going through it. And I, I feel like, is it weird to rank the Marlins ahead of the Phillies right now? But I just, I trust pitching more than, than hitting. And there's so many holes in that team in Philly. So yeah, I, I think the Marlins, especially for a given series, yeah. when they could have three guys go out and just completely shut you out. Yeah. The Marlins pitching is pretty scary. Are you a college basketball guy at all? Not really. Okay. So Virginia, their thing is, is defense. Tony Bennett, like it's, it's the, uh, Oh, something called the, like the trap defense. Why am I blank? It's baseball season. That's why I'm blanking on this. Um, but Tony Bennett, like the Virginia defense is, is top defense in the country year in, year out. And that's why when Virginia is good, everybody picks them to go far because you think, Oh, like, defense never goes cold. A good yeah. shooting team can go cold one day. They're done in the tournament. Defense can't go cold. Um, and that's how I feel about pitching. If you've got a strong pitching staff, because I watched the White Sox in 2005, write a strong pitching staff and a mediocre at best offense to a World Series win. And one of the more dominating postseason appearances in recent memory. So like, I always side with pitching as well. Is there an offense that that scares you at any point? Not name the Dodgers. Try to think through it here. I mean, the National League, uh, you know, honestly, the Giants in that it doesn't even make sense to me what I was watching yesterday. I mean, these guys, (laughs) they're just they're hitting ground balls. They're finding every hole. They're working great at bats. Usually they're patient, but they, they just ambush McGill. They completely changed up their game plan. I don't foreign Zadi does, does wizardry over there. I don't know what's happening with them. So, so that's definitely a thing. And also I just wanted to, to kind of expand on, on what you said a little bit there about defense and the Marlins. I feel like that's why the Marlins are just a center fielder away from actually being a really interesting wild card team. And if they would have just kept Starling Marte, now they wouldn't have had Jesus Lazardo, but even if they had just signed Marte instead of Abby Garcia and, and Solaire this off season, like I think we're looking at the Marlins differently, but it's because they, they have a questionable offense and a defense that I think it, it makes them a little bit short of a playoff team. But I think that's, uh, that's what I look at when I look at the other teams though in the national league. Yeah. It's the, it's the Dodgers. It's the, 
it's the Giants and maybe it's uh, CJ Crone's Rockies right now, I guess, with, with Connor Joe and uh, Chris Bryant. It's Connor Joe's Rockies. Right. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. CJ Crone may be the best player, but it's Connor <laughs> Joe's Rockies. Um, it's, it's Dick Monfort's Rockies, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, I, no one wants him to actually have a playoff team after everything this offseason. But they're, they're, how many times are the Rockies done? I feel like every year the Rockies do this. Are, are they like a good first month team and then they fall off? I feel like, yes. I feel like the air is particularly thin in Denver in the month of April. So uh, we, we got to get somebody, we got to get a meteorologist on the just baseball staff and, and have Figure them. Out. That would be massive for the not gambling advice that Pete does. I think. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah, get, just baseball real, meteorologist. Yeah. It's a real research. And that'd be ridiculous. All right. Hey, Ryan, this was a blast. Um, this was a lot more Mets than I think uh, any just baseball show was going to do, but it's it's worth it because the Mets are on fire right now and you're the perfect guy to do it. And uh, what else you got to plug? Plug Locked On Mets right now. Before you start plugging, though, I got to say you kick ass every single day on the editorial side for Just Baseball. So whenever you go read the quality content from the writing staff at JustBaseball.com, just know that Ryan's got his, his King Midas magic fingers all over everything. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, so you, you can find Locked On Mets over on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. I, I go Monday through Friday. I have a new show every day if you're a Mets fan driving to work. That, that's kind of the idea of our network. So I do that. Also, if there's a big one on a Friday night, sometimes I can't stay away. So you never know. You might get me on Saturdays, too. And then on Just Baseball, we got the State of the Division podcast that uh, we have me and Aram up today for, for the NL East side. Uh, every day, check out the highlight reels that we're doing. Ethan uh, has done a great job putting those out and it's a nice little recap. If you didn't get to watch every game, you can just scroll through and see the highlights from our Twitter feed and kind of get a sense of what's going on in baseball. See a lot of CJ Crone home runs right now. And uh, yeah, I think that's about it. All right. So you got three podcasts out today, right now. You've got, you've yeah. got the just baseball show. You've got state of the division. You got locked on Mets. You're going to go have a beer right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to watch a Mets game. I'm going to watch the Mets try to win this series against the giants. So a yeah. little beer for Bassett. Beer for Bassett. I love it. Alliteration. That's perfect. Hey, me, Peter, and Aram are back with you tomorrow. We're just going to talk about the week that was. Shoot the shit. Uh, maybe some top five DH action coming as well. So we'll talk to you tomorrow, guys.